Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast which asks which movies are well worth watching and remembering for all time. Every episode, we discuss a different piece of film history to decide if it should make its way into our movie vault. Filled with questions, trivia, and crazy challenges, it's the perfect way to deep dive into a myriad of movies. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a glimpse of what to expect in today's episode. Sorry, before you move on, I'm still a bit social. Why did you bring up the IRA? Like, of all the things of... Why? I cannot fit... Why are you talking about, during the Rocky Horror Picture Show episode, the f***ing Irish Republican <laughs> Army? But my mouth is still saying it. Why can't I stop? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Like... I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not entertained? I'll be back. Hello and welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that asks which movies are well worth watching and which deserve to be remembered for all time. I'm your host, David Osger, and I'm joined by someone who's not unfamiliar with wearing heels and a corset. It's Craig McDonald. Hello. Just as well uh, you weren't uh, giving me a lift somewhere tonight, Craig, as otherwise I might have found you in a, in a Rocky Horror costume, as I did often years ago in different, different times. Hang on, often. <laughs> in, in different like, forms of costume, to be clear, not not just the heels and Rocky Horror look. <laughs> mate, it happened, it happened twice, like one day after the other. One day I was in a burlesque outfit, the next day I was dressed as a cowboy. Let's get that distinction correct right off the start. But I was saying, but the costume thing happened a few times. I seem to remember a goddess toga as well. Oh, okay. I was going to say Shelley of all people will be able to tell me when Craig might have dressed as a woman. No, 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 no. I'm not disputing how many times I've dressed up as a woman. I dispute how many times I've been in costume and specifically have picked David up from his house. Uh, you were dressed as Taz one of the times as well. Okay, fine. So Craig, are you happy? Uh, we're still on the musical train uh, after talking about high school musical last time. Yeah, big. I mean, like I said, big fan of musicals, I think. Musicals as a genre can be incredibly diverse. So even if we're going to be stuck in this sort of area for a while, it doesn't mean that we have to be stuck thematically with the same sort of film. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love musicals of all different forms. So if you want, keep them coming. Just uh, this is the sort of like magical, whimsical, weird kind of stuff that I enjoy from films from time to time. (laughs) Yeah. And if anyone has uh, heard your thoughts from last year where you were struggling a lot of the time this is then your plea to the people of like do you want me give me a good time or make him suffer <laughs> we shall see yeah but here's the thing this film and high school musical could not be any more different if they tried true true because let's face it if, it, if they were going to get high school musical to be anywhere near as thematic uh, as close to this film's theme as they could then uh I'm pretty sure Operation U-Tree would be vastly in effect. Well, certainly Troy and uh, Gabriella coming across this house would be a very different type of film to High School Musical. But yeah, thankfully uh, on the Well Good Movies crew today, uh, we have some people who are very used to uh, theatrical performances and uh, musicals. So first up, joining us this week in VHS Corner is another instigator of chaos on this podcast. It is (laughs) Shelley Taylor. Hello, Shelley. 
Hi, how are you doing? You just Hello. you just you'd instigate the chaos. You're like, yep, that's me. <laughs> yeah, I've just got a, a terrible film to suggest at the end if I win. That's uh -oh. the only reason I'm ever here. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Craig's just like already on edge. <laughs> <laughs> he was on edge when I signed up for the episode. <laughs> I just tried. I'm just trying to think what Adam Sandler film are you going to be able to get linked? No, I'm, we've watched them all. <laughs> I think. Can't be in the last year, so... Yeah. Craig wakes up in a cold sweat from Jack and Jill nightmares to this day. Well, it's bad enough that I've got a friend who every now and then sends me Dunkachino memes. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I'm good. Did you ask? I don't know. Yes, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah he, did, he did ask. He did ask. <laughs> um, and it has been a while since uh, you joined us last, Shelley. So we were talking about Beetlejuice, I think, last time. So there's still a kind of musical connection here. But I think this is the first time you're officially talking Hall about musical. Halloween-based musical. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just briefly to the people at home, what, what is your kind of links to musicals? You know, do you, do you enjoy them? Obviously, you've performed in some as well. So I'm guessing <laughs> no, you're a fan. I hate them. I hate them. <laughs> And I'm trying to break them from the inside. No, I love musicals. Um, I used to work with a woman and we would go and see musicals like pretty much every weekend. And then um, when I moved back to Somerset, I joined an operatic society and we've done a couple musicals, um, Kinky Boots, Legally Blonde. Um, they just finished Into the Woods. And they're doing Oklahoma next. Okay. So seems like they're um, building I... up to Rocky Horror in a way, Kinky Boots, and so. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping it was kind of carrying on the uh, the cross dressing <laughs> theme, but never mind. Guess we got to do some classics as well. Although I think it is classic. More on that later. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Well. Uh, yeah. Thank you for joining us over in VHS Corner as well. Is it um, your first time over? Given some facts there, is, is it a bit dusty? Is it like the mansion in this film or uh, is, is it had a spring clean recently? No, it was like a like a big dusty book that like creaked as I opened it and I blew a layer of dust off it <laughs> and coughed for 10 minutes. But then I found some really good facts, hopefully. Awesome. Hopefully you'll find them interesting. Can't wait. And uh, helping us over in the movie vault this week uh, is our resident actor. It is Chris Maxwell. Hello, Chris. Hello, how are you doing? We're doing good. How are you? Yeah, I'm tired, cold. I I I lost my hat earlier. Oh no! Um, oh no! Uber, and I'm I'm eventually I, I managed. The guy called me and he was like, "Oh yeah, um, he happens to live around the corner from me, which is quite nice." That was a painful walk over, though. It's so damn cold. <laughs> My head hurt. <laughs> it was really painful. I thought, is this is this all the effort needed to get a hat? And then I thought, no, you know what? It's the right time. It's freezing cold. Okay. Yeah, it's that time of year now, which is like it could be torrential rain or it could be freezing cold. But um, yeah. So, and I think uh, hopefully you've had enough of getting soaked recently, Chris, after our recent meeting. So I hope you've dried off since the last time I saw you, which. Uh, mm -hmm. You were joking about the goat, and I was drinking oh, a glass of water at the same time. <laughs> God, that was hilarious. Um, for context, I made David laugh so much, he spit water on me. It's not just in the movies, kids. You can actually do it. If you dream hard enough and make a joke about Santa and a flamethrower, you do. Or if, if the person you are telling jokes to is dumb enough 
that when everyone is in a fit of laughter, thinks this is the perfect time for me to rehydrate myself. <laughs> I thought I was in the safe zone. I thought we had like, you know, it was the, the jokes were winding down, but, but no. So in last episode, to kick off the new year, we looked at the incredibly energetic high school musical. And then after looking at our end game, which had our guests talking about the highest ranked uh, Disney Channel original films. uh, In the end, we had a victor, which was Paul. And Paul decided to choose this cult classic musical, which is, of course, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And we all know the story of Rocky Horror Picture Show as the sweetheart of Brad and Janet stuck with a flat tire during a storm, discovering the eerie mansion of Dr. Frankenfurter, a transvestite scientist. As their innocence is lost, Brad and Janet meet a house full of wild characters, including a rocking biker and a creepy butler. Through elaborate dances and rock songs, Frankenfurter unveils his latest creation, a muscular man called Rocky. So, looking at the crew, this was directed by Jim Sharman, uh, with writing credits also going to Jim Sharman as well as Richard O'Brien. The editor was uh, Graham Clifford, cinematography by Peter Sajewski, art direction by Terry Ackland Snow and Norman Dorm, choreography by David Daguri and uh, Gillian Gregory, uh, composer Richard Hartley, the songs themselves by Richard Hartley, and Richard O'Brien. I think we're also going to give a call out to both makeup and hairstyling, with makeup going to people, uh, Peter Rob King and Pierre LaRoche, and hairstyling by Raymond Gao. And now to look at our cast. Fairly well-known cast uh, across the... Go- and all of them gone on to have vastly different, uh, vastly different careers, except for one notable connection, which is Tim Curry obviously being Dr. Frankenverter and just has an insane career, as we all know. But also we have... Uh, Susan Sarandon and Barry Botswick, Richard O'Brien and Pat- uh, Patricia Quinn, Nell Campbell, Jonathan Adams, Peter Hinwood, and of course Meatloaf, uh, as well as a number of other uh, a number of other actors acting as like the uh, Transylvania sort of backgrounds of the party. So that is the film that we are discussing today. Awesome. Woo. So, yeah, let's. Uh... Today, then, we'll be deep diving into the Rocky Horror Picture Show from 1975 and asking the question of whether it deserves to keep its place in our movie vault. Our vault that encapsulates memorable movies for all time. So, yeah, I said there that keep its place because actually this film has been discussed lightly in the past. Uh, we talked generally about musicals right back when well good movies first started um, and we were talking more broadly about genres and topics and this was one of like two films really which was like highlighted as you know a great musical adaptation um but we never really discussed it as like the story or the characters or anything like that it was just chosen as a great uh, example of a movie musical so this is a great opportunity to actually discuss it and then say whether you know we still believe that that decision uh, is justified uh, or we have something controversial do we think they should leave the vault who knows uh, but we'll be discussing that today as we mentioned uh, there this was out in 1975 and as we do look through movie history I thought it would be interesting as well to look through uh, what life was like in 1975 especially considering uh, the cult status of this film because when you look at 1975 Oh boy. So the first one, 
the British Conservative Party chose its first woman leader, Margaret Thatcher, in 1975. Yeah. Um, I'd rather Frank and (laughs) The Vietnam War (laughs) ended. Uh, Sony introduced Betamax videotapes and Matsushita JVC introduces VHS. We all know who won that war. The first blockbuster movie, Jaws, was released. Uh, IRA attacked the UK. More happy news. And uh, very, uh, <laughs> very relevant to today as well is the fact that... Oh, where's it gone? Yeah. The Suez Canal reopened for the first time since the Six-Day War. <laughs> it's like, that that thing's not going away. Um, so, yeah, lots of... Uh, this is a big year for, you know, Jaws in terms of like movies uh, you've also got the tower inferno young frankenstein godfather part two the return of the pink panther murder on the orient express one flew over the cuckoo's nest which was also uh recognized at the oscars and then in terms of musicians that can kind of give you an idea of uh, what the musical taste was at this time which might influence rocky horror picture show so you've got the likes of aerosmith black sabbath bob dylan alice cooper uh, Kiss, Led Zeppelin, John Lennon, Pink Floyd, Queen, Bruce Springsteen. All of those were very popular at this time. Um, and if you look at like the top grosser movies of 1975, Jaws is up there, One Flew Over the Cuckoo Nest, a film called Shampoo, uh, Dog Day Afternoon, Return of the Pink Panther. Rocky Horror Picture Show does appear in this list, and this is just North America um, in terms of the most available statistics at that time uh, but obviously i think something which we'll discuss is rocky horror picture show is mainly known to have its success later on as a as a cult hit uh, but sometimes some of these statistics do sort of bring in rentals and that kind of thing into the fray um so yeah as as i said there you know this is a big cult movie it's got a massive legacy uh for many people they consider it one of you know the first big cult followings that have followed like a project or a musical um, it's a stage adaptation, but it sort of like was created as an original story and property and then sort of transitioned into the musical from that original team, um, which I guess has led to a lot of its authenticity uh, rather than sort of being helmed by a different uh, creative team. Uh, so it's influenced a lot in terms of pop culture, uh, fashions, all sorts of stuff. So, Yeah massive film that we're talking about today so my first question to people would be sorry before you move on i'm still a bit social why did you bring up the why did you bring up the ira like i was reading them and i was just like that was was the one which i was like "Uh, Like, i probably often have a go at like how like how sometimes like random (laughs) sort of big political (laughs) events will be brought up in this show when it just seems out of place i cannot fit why are you talking about during the rocky (laughs) horror picture show episode the Irish Republican Army. What are you oh, inciting yeah. here, David? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Relations were getting better yeah, until yeah. you spoke up. <laughs> <laughs> it was the way you said it, though, as if you were sort of be like, the IRA's chat UK, that's not good, good news, and now Craig, the sports. Yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. It was because I was trying to segue to the more positive <laughs> film stuff, and I was like, oh, this isn't what I thought was like the more positive thing when I like started reading, so it's like, I... But- but my mouth is still saying it. <laughs> yes, like, yeah, yeah. Like... Stop. <laughs> the annoying thing is, based on the way in which David said it, I don't know which side of the conflict he's on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway. Anyway. 
So the legacy of this film is obviously huge. So my first question to people is when you think of Rocky Horror Picture Show, what do you think of? So Shelley, uh, you said you're a big musical fan. So what do you think of when you think of this film and maybe this show or musical as a whole? Yeah, I guess it depends what mood I'm in, whether uh, my mind goes to the film or to the to the show I think in terms of the show I've never actually been to see it live um but I would love to and I know that a part of um going to see it live is a lot of people dress up as one of the characters and if you're a bit shy you can just put like a lab coat on or whatever um but yeah so it's you know it's it's one of those where people aren't going to get mad if you kind of sing along and and really become a part of the show so I know that that's why it's got such a huge following I think it's just really good fun um and with the film I think I just think of uh Tim Curry's performance I just think it's incredible <laughs> and the I guess we'll come to it later but the kind of the gothic punk feel of it all kind of gritty I like it that's why that's my first thoughts Chris, what about you? Um, a couple of things, really. Like I, I always go back to the first time I ever saw it, which was on telly when I was far too young. I think I must have been about nine when I watched this movie for the first time. And I remember being blown away by, yeah, the music, the visuals, and just how at sometimes it is quite unsettling. Like the horror aspect of it is genuinely quite horrifying. Uh, we'll probably touch on some of it a bit later on. Um, but like, like uh, Shelley, I've not actually seen the show, but I did audition for it once. Um, there was an open audition at the new theatre in Cardiff where you could come along and because they wanted it to be really fun, you would audition in Rocky Horror themed costumes. So I went along in a pair of stockings and my girlfriend's pants. And my girlfriend is a lot smaller than me. But um, so I thought I'd try it on. And it was at that moment I realized I'm going to have to wear something under these pants because these are leaving nothing to the imagination. <laughs> Didn't unfortunately get the part, but I did get through to the last but one stage, which was pretty fun. Um, that would have been really fun. It was to play Brad as well, which would have been really interesting. But that's the closest I ever got to the stage play at Rocky Horror. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, actually, because obviously, we, you know, both of you have been involved in theatre and performances etc if you were to play one of these characters which which one would it be or which do you think would come most easy to you oh, i'd love to play dutch frankenfurter mm. i don't know if i could pull it off um but it's a it's such an awesome role it's so incredible like i, I just get to let go playing him don't you like yeah, it's quite freeing and be extravagant <laughs> something quite a sort of yeah freeing about being that sort of over the top and sexy as well because that is it is a very sexy role i don't think anyone's gonna think that's crazy to say that tim curry in that role is very fine <laughs> i mean there's only really three to choose from so uh probably magenta yeah uh yeah craig what do you think you go for Eddie, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. That was my options at the start. Were like, do I introduce Sorry. Craig through the heels yeah. thing, or do I introduce him as Meatloaf? <laughs> I I still don't understand where this entire "I look like Meatloaf" thing even even came from. I, like, I know the first guy who said it, but that guy was well, I could only describe as stoned off his ass. Um, I think it comes from the fact you look like Meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, my only issue with with being Eddie is that he's just in it for effectively one song and then gone. Oh, but it's such a cool song. Yeah, but I felt like school productions did that to me a lot as a kid. Just put me in, put me in the character, which is like, okay, you don't have much to do, but it's like entertaining. Whereas, I I would actually like to. I would like to play somebody like Riff Raff. You'd make a good Riff Raff as well. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I see that. <laughs> yeah. This is probably the point, uh, the time to remind audiences that Shelley and I used to do a lot uh, a lot of sketch comedy together. So Shelley was very good at finding like outlandish performances for me to do, but also just a lot of cool musical performances as well. Oh, yeah. We did like a, a duet as uh, the Curies. Yeah, we did the duet as the Curies. We did the... Uh, uh, we did the Google Translate karaoke. Oh my god! Yeah. I was thinking uh, that I was like the Curies. It was like that sounded like the Pixies or something. And I was like, what's the Curies? Like yeah. some like little kids character. I was like, oh wait, <laughs> I see. Marie and the other one. The other the one. Him. Him and the one that nobody gives a damn about. <laughs> you two should like do. Um, even though it's not so much like a duet, but you could make a duet. Would be a science fiction. I don't know why. I just think that that. <laughs> Yeah. The styling of that would be quite fun. Curies are going on Tories. <laughs> that sounds too much like Tories, and as we've already established, that's we don't want a political tone right now. <laughs> See, that's why I was teeing all that stuff up for. And Chris, what when you think of the kind of legacy and the cult following which I mentioned, you know, why do you think it is that this film has tapped into something so specific within people? I think it's because it's it is so wild and so silly, and because it takes so many different elements of of everything, um, you know, the musically, film styles, all sorts of things. It appeals to a sort of wide range of people, and I think in that sort of essence, it was sort of crossing over these different genres and also crossing boundaries. But at a time like you, you were talking about nineteen seventy five and when you were listing off some of the stuff that was happening, you know, like in terms of films in particular, there was such a mad, it was such a crazy time in cinema of what people were seeing. And then of course with music, I just think it was just like, it's sort of like an assault on the senses. You go and see this film and you're being hit around the head with banger tunes, crazy, sexy dancing, um, mad, like over the top B movie uh, horror and like cheesy acting. I, I just think people just were like, it's one of those films that you can watch and just be like this. I don't have to care about anything about this movie. This is mental and I love it. And I think, I think it's just not easy watching, but it's fun. You don't have to think about it. Yeah. And just when you think how out there it was for the time, you know, especially because as I mentioned with films, especially that you've got the fact that something like Jaws, you know, the blockbusters hadn't quite come in yet. So there wasn't that sense of like, you know, what will please crowds or that kind of uh, stuff hadn't really come in yet. Uh, but also, yeah, the sort of tastes at that time when you look at music and the fact that, you know, there it was a more, you know, there was just stuff that just w- wouldn't be seen on screen at that time. And I guess if you look at other movies that there was that, it was that moment in which cinema would have like more potentially like risque stuff, some more darker stories. It'd be like, you know, sexploitation films. Um, And then you'd have like things like Hammer and a lot of those B movies, which would be very risque and they would show like nudity and sort of like really sort of have cheesy and 
kind of out there ideas but kind of restrain it into like these big like stories and these like fantasy sci-fi uh films which then they could like showcase you know the kind of like otherworldly people within that and this is then based off of that um but it's then presenting us with something new again by you know playing so much with sexuality and you know like having you know tim curry there as quote unquote from the film like you know a transvestite character um and sexuality being a big part of his character and especially in this film like literally like the bed scenes you know in which you can imagine the people at that time were like, oh my God, what, you know, what's going on? So even though at that time there would be very much more revealing depictions of women potentially, but it was always from like a male gaze. Um, I guess that this in some ways is, you know, looking at it from both viewpoints of like a male and female gaze, but also then playing with sexuality and stuff like that, which was probably very unseen. So to couple that with then a story then about aliens and about like being out there and being crazy you know, it, it very much goes with what a lot of films in recent years have become successful because of, like, you take something in the musical space recently, like Grey Showman, in which that's there saying, like, celebrate your individuality. It's almost to that same kind of appeal, but this is more of the kind of, like, dark rock and roll vibes that uh, Shelley was mentioning earlier and as evident in, in the music that was popular at that time as well. Mm, yeah, and the dancing as well. I think the dancing definitely had a big part. It, it's visually insane it, it does just feel like it was ripped straight off the stage like they did they barely changed anything about it and that's but still it looks like a great film it's so it's such an awesome like visual film as well as well as being a great musical film as well it looks amazing yeah shelly what do you think of that kind of the way it's kind of aged in a way as well because as i was watching then this for the podcast i was thinking well this is interesting to look at for you know, what was appropriate at that time and that kind of thing. So like in terms of how it's aged, um, but yeah, how it also kind of presented those like big ideas and stuff like sexuality and dance and, you know, being different, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I was reading about how it was a midnight movie. So uh, movie theaters to make a bit of extra money would show kind of low budget, low rated films uh, in the night. Um, and a lot of cinemas became almost uh, like a safe space for the LGBT community uh, to go and see Rocky Horror. Um, and so I think that is where this kind of cult following came from. Um, it's all about self-expression and, you know, there's no shame from Frankenfurter about who he is or how he acts at all even when he's you know murdering but we'll leave that side as for its depiction of like sex and stuff I was actually quite shocked when I watched it earlier rewatched it earlier um the scene where he's like seducing Brad in the yes. bed is very very <laughs> um risque for 1975 so yeah I don't know how that was actually received at the time like even now I'm I don't know. I got all like prudish about it. I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just shock, like shocking to see, you know, because it's not something you'd often see. And mm. yeah, for it to be something that they're so open about, and especially because they're mirroring the other scene, um, mm -hmm. it then kind of like makes it even more otherworldly if you will the fact that it's... like he's doing the things that then the woman is doing, and you're like, oh my god, I'm not used to seeing this, you know. 
and it's yeah I was almost disappointed in myself for reacting that way and I think it highlights that it's like well why are you so why is it so weird that it's now two men doing this exactly the same thing and the, the film makes nothing of it and Brad makes nothing of it either yeah it's actually quite clever how they both look that they're both shot and presented it identically even to the point of Frankenfurter's dialogue is 100% the same in that in those two in those two exchanges the way they react is slightly different but he does basically say the exact same thing i think apart from maybe one thing towards the end the editing is great yeah. when he like lays down as janet mm. and then they pull the wig off and you can see like his curly hair underneath yeah yeah that's that's brilliant and i think it's like chris said that's down to the like the great way that it's kind of been adapted from the stage what you guys are both touching on there as well is uh one of the things i saw the director say was that this was like a homemade movie is that to him some of the best films are technically flawed because they have an extra sense of humanity there um that there's that relatability uh, because it almost feels homemade you can see the craft there which is kind of like an appeal of something like a musical because you can kind of see how it's being done and you can appreciate like oh that's just being like pulled up with you know a rope and stuff but you like the kind of craft that's going into it um and he also said that on the surface this was very comic book and cartoony but underneath you know it's very sophisticated and pulls from lots of various sources so it almost had me thinking of barbie from last year in the sense that that was quite similar that on surface level it can be quite silly it's you know wears his heart on his sleeve you know it's very cartoonish um it's like a comedy but then in terms of influences etc you know it's pulling from all different types of films like wizard of oz 2001 a space odyssey you know it's much more substance Obviously then, than at surface level, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think that, that that's interesting, especially that home movie aspect, which I think is evident then in a lot of other films that saw success later on, especially when you have the creatives who made it at the heart of it as well. And it also I mean, feeds into the kind of B-movie aesthetic as well, which was very, like, shot on home movie cams and very low budget special effects and things like that but um they're so clever with it like they would be on the stage like using the shadows and backlighting and things that you don't necessarily need to do in cinema but because they used it it's like for me the difference between animatronics and cgi just animatronics is always gonna look better to me and age better mm. you know so something that looks like it's on stage i think will be almost timeless in that way because it's like a, a physical thing and i think going back to like the sort of the idea of like very rustic and homemade because the film is very much constantly referencing cinema and constantly referencing everything it's it's it's, it's an homage and it's very self-referential and i think a lot of fans do appreciate that I think fans appreciate when you're referencing, you know, like you said, the pulley rope systems or you're seeing the tricks. It's it's very nice. And I think for fans who do enjoy cinema and enjoy theatre and enjoy musical, seeing that presented to you is almost sort of like a nice treat. And but then you can you couple that with the sense that the story's still really fun and the music's still really good. You can forget you can forgive that. You can forgive if it looks cheap or if you you can see the you can see the strings. You're having a great time. 
And that's almost like a sort of a nice fun art, wink and a nod to the audience saying, yeah, you know you're watching something that's fictional, you know you're watching something wild, but it's good though, isn't it? And you go, yeah, it really is. I also like what the director said in terms of its success as well, because that kind of goes with what Shelley was saying about you know, how we found an audience later on as well, is that the success came out of the failure. He said if it was moderately successful, it might not be around now. Um, so from them looking at alternate distribution and different ways of releasing the film and kind of getting it out there, that actually led to its cult status, which again is interesting looking at it from a 2024 lens is, you know, you look at stuff like streaming, which can in some ways be a positive. Some people can find movies which failed in theatres or didn't sort of get seen by certain audiences they can then find it uh, on streaming later on um or just kind of knowing your audience i think uh, the director was talking about how you know th- it was difficult to market because you know if you're looking at the previews of other movies or like what what it was playing alongside at the same time there was nothing similar you couldn't put it in front of another film so how you'll go to the cinema and be like hey if you like this you might like this but there's nothing like that for Rocky Horror. So how do you tap into that audience? So, you know, it really needed to find its audience, which I think happens a lot of the time as well. When you look at cinema goers, you know, often they can be a very specific type of group of people. And sometimes there's those groups of people which are harder to get out to the cinema. Um, and I think that, yeah, in some ways we've lost some of that, you know, in terms of like, there's always been the fact that certain movies have failed or flopped or not been successful in certain areas, but they've had their cult following in in other ways but you know i think that a lot more now some movie studios would be like oh well if it failed on in the cinema or it failed on streaming it's gone you know just delete it from history uh whatever or just let it die um you know there doesn't seem to be as much effort uh made into the kind of like how can we make this work how can we market it in a certain way probably the easiest way to think of something which is then a huge example is something like Oppenheimer which kind of goes with what you guys were saying about the practical element is people are like oh I want to support this because it's like a cinematic experience they understand why to go so like you were saying Shelley there's the element of like if you want to go and sing along you know what you're in for you know Grace Showman which I mentioned earlier kind of tapped into that as well sing-along screenings you know that then probably boosted its box office quite a bit because people were like oh i know i'm gonna go have a fun time there's gonna be like the lights will be on and people are in costume and stuff like that so a similar thing almost with oppenheimer of being like you're going to the cinema for this specific reason you're going to imax because you know you're getting this big explosive experience um so i think that the way the films are marketed you know is is really important as evident by these two films (laughs) i would say that the last I think the last proper film to try the to try the idea of getting like cult status through like other means, but they failed miserably because they just don't get the internet's sense of humor. Uh, I think is Morbius because obviously that film was very renowned for people kept making the it's Morbin time memes to the point that Sony thought, oh, people are interested in this film. Oh, maybe we can get a re-release. And then they went, oh no, we were joking, man. We're we're not gonna go and see that pile of shit. Like no. So I think that also will now probably scare studios off because they're just like, uh, but what if what if we're wrong on this? So that's just an extra incentive to let those films sort of die these days. And Craig, I guess, as as you kind of alluded to in terms of knowing the theatrical space and, you know, being a fan of musicals, as you mentioned earlier, what, what was your kind of experience with this film in the past? Because you said that you were aware of it a lot because of like the famous songs and the sequences and the visuals of the film 
Yeah, so I mean, obviously, uh, as a musical fan, uh, especially a musical fan living in Cardiff, I'm going to be well aware of a lot of these songs, especially Time Warp, because um, if ever you were going to go to a musical sing-along night, Time Warp is almost certainly going to show up, um, because it's one of those beautiful songs that just effectively teaches you how to dance, and that is just going to be something that gets involved. Insofar as my actual history with the entire thing, so... This is yet again one of those films where I've seen a lot of clips. Uh, I think I've like, I don't want to say come into this film because people will be immature and make the jokes. But I think I've I've probably channel hopped to halfway through this film being played somewhere. Because I've definitely seen a lot of the scenes. I've seen the Touch Me song. I saw the everyone being turned into statues and they're being dressed up and put on the stage. Uh, I've seen the intro of this film. There are lots of other sequences I definitely did not see until this sequence. So this is my first full time watching this film. There's not my first attempt at watching this film all the way through. Um, years ago, I was in Cologne and they had an event which was uh, they were just going to have like a live showing of the film. Uh, I thought, oh, this would be great. And they advertised it as, oh, we're also going to, you know, encourage you to sing along. So I thought, oh, great environment for me. Uh, but then instead of showing any of the scenes with the criminologist they cut out all those scenes and had like the worst guy i've ever seen trying to do his own impersonation of the criminologist and it was so goddamn awkward that i left i think by the point that the tire of the car had broken because i was like this this guy is just messing up the pace of this film so much that that screw it i'm gone goodbye i can't deal with this I'll watch it again in another time, which I eventually have. Um, But yeah, so I've never been to one of the live shows. Um, Would like to in the future. I just don't know who I would have to go with at this point. Shelly's offering. (laughs) Yep. The Curies. Sounds like a (laughs) a done deal to me. Talking about the film itself and you know our thoughts about uh, the performances the story the songs etc uh shelly what what's your overall thoughts about this film uh whether that be based on your original viewing whether it's kind of changed over time uh or, or what do you think of it so in terms of the songs it's they're all really like simple it's proper pop music of the time um with the rock influence and a you know a bit of punk in there um but I think that's why it's maintained its longevity as like a sing-along thing. Um, In terms of the performances, obviously a lot of the actors in it, while Richard O'Brien was one of the writers, they're all like stage performers. They've all performed in musicals. A lot of them are from the original stage cast, like Patricia Quinn and uh, obviously Tim Curry. And so, yeah, I just think, it's a it's a small talented cast they're all amazingly weird in their own way it was like earlier we were saying which character would you play I think everyone has the one character that they identify with their weirdness at least I like every aspect of it the um even the architecture of of the house I know it used to be like a, a set for hammer horror and that they actually maintained a lot of the the props as well for like the lab and things like that. Yeah, that kind of animatronic B-movie vibe. 
um, bright colours set against the kind of gothic backdrop. I like all of that. I think we talked about that with Beetlejuice as well, like the kind of monotone and then suddenly it's like acid green and bright red and I kind of got that vibe with this film as well. Yeah, that's what's, um, that's what's funny about the these eras, like you said, in which you've been involved in with Beetlejuice as well, is that like, you know, the 70s, 80s, they liked a good gothic, weird, random film. Because like when we watched Beetlejuice, we talked about like, this is just such a random film you wouldn't get these days, you know, in which somebody's like, yeah, let's make this for like 100 mil or, you know, whatever it costs. So, you know, it's crazy how something like this was produced to the level they was i think the director did say that there was the potential that they could have done a big star-studded cast version um or they had the option to do like a smaller version um with the original cast and he was like yeah let's go with that you know because they didn't want to kind of ruin the appeal and the success of it so which often happens as we've discussed with musicals uh you know when you know, people who can't sing and, you know, star power get in the way of uh, certain movie roles, etc. Prisoner 24601. <laughs> yeah, we were all thinking it. <laughs> I mean, it was either him or Gerard Butler. Like, it's basically just take your pick. I think in terms of, like, the like characters and stuff, they are all very over the top. Like, I kind of love, in an unironic way, Brad and Janet for just how unbelievably wholesome they are um like <laughs> they're so so silly they're so like um cliche goody two shoes and then to just plonk them in this is just so perfect uh, and i actually think susan sarandon and barry bostwick both are both brilliant um i love watching their expressions throughout the film and just seeing how in the the, the first time like you see the time up and then you see them watching uh sweet transvestite just seeing how perplexed they are. It's so brilliant. But I do love my favorite. I think one of my favorite parts is, is during Speak Transvestite when <laughs> Brad is like, I'm glad we caught you at home because it's so matter of fact. It's like, it's like um, excuse me, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Transvestite, sir, uh, uh, we need to use your phone. It, it's just so perfect and so, so silly. And I love watching those two and going from the, the them wanting to get married to this entire situation and also eddie just the, the the brief appearance of eddie is such a that was probably the biggest shock for me when i first saw it because what happened to him really freaked me out because i was i was familiar with meatloaf and i was like oh meatloaf's in this movie yeah oh god oh oh god what is oh and then it was just so horrific and it just completely undercuts his entire banger of a song just with that brutal murder. And then to see him on the table, it was so messed up. It was really yeah. fucking... I think that's what that's what's so mad about this movie. It lulls you in with a great dance, song and dance and then it hits you with some really nasty horror, which is really cool. Yeah, I think that's what's interesting with uh, musical adaptations and Craig will know from you know what, what I've said before is that sometimes you know you can either feel that like it's kind of jumping off the stage and you know they've kind of like transitioned really well and it makes you want to go see that musical on stage and I think this is definitely one of those cases in which like that Eddie scene for example you can kind of imagine that playing out in the theater and you can imagine the lights going red and like the screaming like ah you know and like everyone in the theater kind of like tense as to what has just happened you can really feel the atmosphere of the show almost 
um, through the movie. And I think that's why it's so important that the creatives involved in the show and its inception, because I can't really think of like another example of this, because that's why looking into it, I was kind of like, is this a film first? Was this a theater production first? So looking into it, I was like, okay, well, yeah, you know, obviously it was a theater production first, but it's kind of, to me, one of the only main examples of one that's just kind of like both are equally as famous. Do you know what I mean? There's not often the conversation of like, oh, well, that is better or they I didn't like that, which they covered. Because it's largely the same team, the same cast, to me, from what I've you know, known of the, the kind of history of this project, is that it's kind of seen all within one sort of, you know, perspective um you know of how famous it's become because it kind of was just one long journey and i think even the creative said that you know the film was kind of like the ultimate goal and you know it was just natural that they did it which i think that the film kind of proves that it's almost like a band really it's like listening yeah. to uh, music on like vinyl on, on cd and then watching it live it's, it's it's that sort of band experience it's very much the music that's that's a great way of putting it actually it's not you don't listen to a song go like well this isn't as good as live you know it's just that it's another dimension to it and i think that i was watching this thinking oh this makes me want to go see it live but not in a bad way to the film i think that there's other adaptations you could have that with in which you're like oh i think this is losing something there's an aspect missing um but i think correction every everyone i've spoken to it only feels like you have that criticism a lot of a movie musicals david well, <laughs> I'm sure there are ones out there in which people would feel that uh, the there's live versions which are better, especially if the musical version is not very good adaptation, like Lame is, you know, that that's just because then they feel that it's a inferior adaptation. Um so there's that aspect as well. But yeah, this this was like largely like a, a similar experience to Craig for me, you know. I think I'd pieced together parts of this film and it was very famous in my head i knew a lot of the sequences like the songs like sweet transvestite and time warp i knew a lot of the characters i knew like the way it's then been adapted and referenced in terms like you know the two teenagers which you know get stuck in the storm and obviously the fact that this is referencing so many like b movies and tropes and that kind of stuff and the iconography of it so there was a lot of it i knew but then i never saw seen it in its entirety um, and I guess in some ways that can be an element of like, oh, do I want to like taint what this image of this film is in some ways? Um, weirdly, like my first acknowledgement of Rocky Horror, if you want to say like just that like specific term was when I was in primary school, we did a show called Rocky Horror Monster Show, which was basically like primary schools being like, we can't do Rocky Horror Picture Show. So they've obviously <laughs> like in the circulation of primary school shows like for example i did one uh called gel which was like it's not i don't think there was any rights issues with greece it was just the fact that they were updating greece <laughs> so it was the fact that yeah. it was meant to be a production i was like is that hairspray yeah. is that- <laughs> before the year before that i think was rocky horror monster show and again so you could tell that this is their way of wanting to do rocky horror for some reason for kids um so that they can maybe use some songs but obviously not all of them but what i remember of it is basically it's combining like phantom of the opera that could just be because the character did wear just a white mask i don't know if it had any other relevance to it apart from that but this show had like two people you know break down in a car they find like a house 
in it is like a weird Igor type character and this like scientist and he's created like actual like Frankenstein like monsters and then the town is against him and all that kind of stuff so it was vaguely like Rocky Horror so that's why in my mind for a long time as like a kid I was like oh that's what that is and then the more I kept seeing of Tim Curry like dancing around in a corset and heels I was like what what, what is that's this that's not what that is yeah well, <laughs> the biggest just... alarm bells for you David is when the Frankenverter character in your show is played by one of the teachers <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be quite scary. Yeah, this film I, had, I I knew like loads about it, but yeah, there was loads of parts like Craig and stuff which I had just never seen before, including like the Eddie stuff. So yeah, I was just fascinated, and you know, really, it was a film that I could really enjoy from the sense of like, as I said earlier, with the kind of comparisons to like Barbie and stuff, is that like it kind of has a lot of influences within it. And I think that that's what I enjoy so much about it and that homemade feel that the director was talking about. That, you know, the songs are absolutely great, but also, you know, I've seen a lot of lists in the past of like, you know, the greatest performances of all time. And I think I've seen Tim Curry come up quite a lot. And I think that before I was just like, oh, is that just because of the song or just because it was so risque? But, you know, watching this now, I'm like, oh, I get it. Like, this is absolutely like stellar, like, you know, we have the movie vault. If there could be like a section of it for performances, this is one of the first times in which I'd be like, yes, this, you know, he earns his place there because it is just such a good performance. Like the fact that obviously he's done it in, you know, the theater as well probably helps. But I also really liked the video in which I saw him talking about how he had to scale things back because in the theater, you're used to doing them like in a big elaborate way. Here, he had to kind of scale it down for the camera. And he said that added a new element uh to it and yeah it it just seems like he just perfectly knows the criteria what is expected and just really sinks his teeth into it you know there's no point in which you're watching that and you're like oh that's Tim Curry you know that he becomes that character so much and the singing the dancing you know it's just a captivating performance I was just gonna say I think for a long time that I actually thought Tim Curry was like that rather than <laughs> I just thought he was just a really flamboyant lovey rather than just a really good actor. That's all I had to say. <laughs> Carry on. So I was going to say, I, I think I've seen that same interview with Tim Curry. And it's so, it is really interesting because when you, having seen the film and just seeing like how much, so many close-ups of his face and so intense and just the, the, the way they deliver, like, I mean, just anticipation that whole delivery of that line is so great, but it's so much better on film because you get that great shot of his mouth, just that so nice, it's so good. And I would love to have seen him do that on stage as well, just to sort of see them side by side. Just to, like, for me, I, it, it would always be the same, but knowing that he actually he scaled it back, that's mad, that's insane to me, because it's such a wild movie. But I, I, in terms of uh, Tim Curry's uh, entrance, I think that like that's why the song "Sweet Transvestine" is so perfect as well as like an entrance song. Uh, because I was especially surprised, like, oh, it comes straight after "Time Warp." Like, what's going on? Like, the two bangers like right next to each other. Be like, how else could you do it? You know, and and in a way, it works even better because it kind of like lets the story flow after it. Really, it doesn't just feel I mean, like. I- Jukebox-y. I was also surprised that Time Warp was so early in the yeah, musical as well. That too. Like my my big assumption was when I saw the clip of the statues being moved onto the stage, 
I always assumed that that was when Time Warp was. Oh, okay. So but much no. later. How did you feel about the pacing then, knowing more of the kind of first half songs than second half? So personally, I think I, I think they did a good job with it. I think because there's there's so much so much energy and chaos just sort of packed into the first half, right? You literally just go into this mansion and everyone's already dancing and then you're in the laboratory and um this guy has just gotten out of all of all of these bandages and then just a random biker just shows up. Then that biker is killed. It's like everyone off to bed now. Bye bye. Um and then that just brings in like the ironically the darker, more like overtly sexual element of the film. Um yeah, I think it did a good job with that. I think the only only part that say because I didn't know enough about this going in that I feel I'm not sure if I, I'd say it, it weakens aspects of it for me, but I think it's definitely a talking point. What do we think of the fact that it just transpires that like they're aliens? Because I was just like, mm, I don't know. I like the idea that you would be more humanistic with just a more grounded sort of background. Like I'm fine with supernatural, but like aliens. I feel like that was um, the writer's way of just being like aliens shrugs and they were like yeah why not and they just sort of thought it'd be funny if they if, i guess if you don't want the conversation of do we think that humans are inherently like that be like they're not humans ah uh... yeah well that that is often something that has been used as a cover like within you know like animation and stuff like that like make them more like kind of like uh diverse characters like an alien or something like that but i th- guess it also comes from because I always had the same assumption of like, oh, Rocky Horror, it's this kind of like these human strange characters um, more linked to, you know, horror. Um, but no, you know, because it opens with that song, you know, science fiction. And a lot of the inspiration for this film was from sci-fi B-movies. So I guess that's its kind of way of trying to be linked into science fiction. So while it appears as this kind of like parody horror film, you know, it, it also at the same time wants to be this like weird sci-fi film. And I guess from like a history point of view, it kind of also makes sense because at that time you did have a lot of, you know, not so much some of the films they're mentioning in the song early on, like, you know, King Kong and that kind of stuff. But later in the 60s, 70s, there was still a lot of that kind of like overhang of the kind of like campy Flash Gordon type stuff. Yeah, yeah. Brad, Brad and Janet are the only humans in the film, right? Because everyone else is... Uh transsexual from transylvania or the planet transsexual transylvania or have been created by frankenfurter apart from i think dr scott and eddie was human but was experimented on i think yeah um because he was his nephew right gonna be like the overly analytical writer here but is there something to be said about like aliens representing the foreign and this this foreignness of like androgyny and freedom of expression and kind of teaching humans, which I'm going to refer to in modern terms as neurotypicals, uh, <laughs> how to kind of let loose and, and find that part within themselves. I was just or going- it could just be the aliens because cool. <laughs> I was actually thinking the same thing because like, like at the time in cinema, I mean, particularly uh, before, well, sort of the cinema that this was based on, aliens were often used as the sort of stand-in for the metaphors. You, know, you go back to like the sort of 
thing from another world where the, the, the pod people were sort of a standard for like the Soviet Union, you know. Yeah. Dra- Dracula. Dracula yeah, as, as being sort of, foreign and other. Yeah, it was, it was other is... And I think, you know, you mentioned like the sort of the LGBT community that gravitated toward this movie. They, you know, they probably wanted to own that sort of badge. So, yeah, we are from another planet. We're from a fucking sexy planet. Yeah, we're, we're alien, like yeah. reclaiming it. Well, it goes back yeah. to what I said earlier, again, with the what the director had said, you know, it's like on surface level. So like you said, yeah, Alien's cool, but underneath there's like, you know, more context to it as well. So there's I think that that... There. Having watched other stuff that like, and seeing the kind of person that Richard O'Brien is, yeah, I think that that intention might have been there. Perhaps, yeah. Because I think he he promotes weirdness even yeah. on, um, oh my God, what's it called? Crystal Maze. Yeah, it's yeah. just so weird. <laughs> and by the time it's, I think it's similar to um, Rocky Horror. By the time you know what's going on, you're in the room and you're locked in. <laughs> and oh. it's the same with the film, like Craig was saying. It doesn't really stop. It barrels you in until you get put to bed. And then you take stock and then it becomes darker um yeah so i think in terms of like like you're saying create the pacing of the film it does kind of it just it's a roller coaster until you have time to think and then it all just starts ramping up again until the end you could almost say it's astounding oh time is fleeting (laughs) No, I do see what Craig means. I think that, you know, again, all of that could have been done through, you know, it didn't have to be aliens. It could be still something else supernatural. I guess the only thing you would lose is maybe the end is this idea that a bit like what kind of Queen, you know, invokes. And again, Flash Gordon is that idea of like the crazy, campy, silver, weird hair, sci-fi stuff. And that is like mimicked a lot in the music because I feel that the music isn't going for Transylvania horror vibes. The music throughout it is going for this kind of like bombastic, like sci-fi rock, which is often attributed to science fiction, again, through Queen, Flash Gordon, all that kind of stuff. So I guess that that's where the sci-fi... Yeah, that's it, yeah. War of the Worlds, you know, those kind of things have been affiliated with it in the past as well. Yeah, I do agree insofar as like the actual staging of everything i think thematically it works on those grounds uh yeah i think that's i think it's probably just one of those things where i'm just like overthinking a certain aspect and at the end of the day it probably doesn't actually matter i think you get the same sort of consequences either way so um it's not like there's anything overtly harmful we're going with that one way i guess also given when it was as well it's it's probably before like that sort of major sort of cliche element of just uh, like loads of twists of just are oh, there aliens etc because i think in the 80s it probably is when that trope is sort of done to death with regard with regards to a lot of it so yeah i i'm willing i'm willing to accept it um the other thing i have questions about uh this isn't like in a critical sense this is more in just a sort of humor me you know ripping on things because it's fun uh i do love the fact that the end is just the house disappears and they're all just like lying there just thinking what the hell has happened and they're just credits no wrap-up no no conversation they're all just there like that's richard o'brien going yeah finish this musical yeah i have this on blu-ray and i bought it when it was like you know buy so many for so much and i was just like oh i need to watch this so i will get it now and i just haven't had the chance to watch it since and 
it looks amazing. Like that, you know, for such an old film, it looks fantastic quality wise. But at the start of it, it was like US or UK version. I was like, uh, <laughs> and you know i'm used to like kind of blade runner and all those kind of questions do you watch the director's cut and all this kind of thing i was like oh, well, what's the difference i'm like they're like googling and people were just like basically it's just the end song um so like, i'm not sure what version you guys saw but yeah apparently the uk version has superheroes the song at the end which then once the house flies away they sing for a bit longer um and then it goes to that shot of them like underneath and then it's the credit well and then it's the scene with the human uh what was he what was he again coroner or criminologist criminologist coroner <laughs> I, know, I was like he's just there with eddie's body being like and so we look it at- would make sense <laughs> um yeah so when it goes to the scene with the criminologist uh yeah in the u.s version it just yeah they lift up you see them on the ground and then it goes immediately to him whereas in this uk version they kind of sing for a bit longer which... okay i clearly watched the u.s version then but then i was watching this on disney I was watching it on Disney Plus, so that would make the most sense. Yeah, check check it out on YouTube or something afterwards if you can, because to me, then watch. I w- I just went to the end of the US version just to see that difference, and I was like, oh, this like cut is really jarring, and I was like, I don't know if that's because I knew that then that song was gone, um, or if it actually was just a bad a bad cut. Uh, with trust it trust Americans to make something slightly worse. <laughs> um, Greg, there was actually a a sequel. They made a sequel called Shock Treatment. Oh, I'd, yeah. On the planet um, and about the aliens, but it didn't have Tim Curry in it. I think Patricia yeah. Quinn, um, Richard O'Brien were in it, uh, but it was a flop all round, box office and cult. <laughs> I mean, also, they, they kill off Tim, like, Frankenfurter, so I'd be like, yeah, that was the driving force of this film. Why would I come and watch the people who killed killed him yeah the one thing that maybe then influenced me is because time warp and um sweet transvestine came so early then you think oh is that it for the bangers and i think that nope (laughs) the rest of the time then i'm kind of like okay they're all kind of the same vibe i wasn't sure if anything else saw like stood out but i enjoyed the kind of like emotional level and the kind of like theatrics of everything else but i think when I saw revisited them today, like I was listening to the soundtrack on the way home, um, I was still impressed by how much still kind of stood out. I think it is one of those musicals in which it kind of just has a general sound and they can quite easily lead into another and sound quite similar, um, which I think does happen a bit with like, you know, Eddie, probably my least favorite actually. And this is maybe the lowest point for me, even though it still has a lot of the elements I like with the kind of like chorus and the singing uh, was Rocky's song when he first uh arrives is it like sort of damocles yes yeah because did anyone else think he sounded weird in this film like everyone else sounded very clear as day and he sounded like he was in like a fish tank or something like as soon as he came out it was just like i was here and i was like why does he sound like he's from a recording from like the 1940s or something it just i couldn't understand what he was really singing about i didn't understand what the I saw it was weird that he just suddenly burst into song and there was just no reason for it. Or, yeah, I, I don't know. That, that song you were didn't watching quite... a musical, David. Well, you know, I didn't understand any of the motivations of that song and, you know, everything else made sense. You know, this introducing I, this character. No, I, I completely got the motivations of the song. I think it's the same with any sort of artif- artificial creation. You come out and just start having, like, an existential dread. 
that I get. I think it's just, again, the technical element of it then just throws me as I found it hard to get on board with because I just couldn't understand much of what he was saying. And it just seemed so a part of what I think is great about it, like you said, is the energy and like it just has this fantastic pace to it. But that was the one point in which I wished it kind of like settled down a bit and then had a bit more build up to his song. Um, but I thought where they could have really then tripped up with that stuff was later on when you have like Eddie, Rose Tint My World, I'm Going Home, all of that, you know, but I thought it worked fantastically. I thought I was surprised how well Eddie kind of was on replay for me. I thought it was just quite fun, you know, with the the doctor there and just like his accent and stuff like that. It's just quite catchy, I thought. Um, and even... For me, um, I just... I. I just thought this is a meatloaf song, but I like meatloaf music, so yeah, I'm on yeah. board with this. I love Damn It Janet again. I just, <laughs> I just think it's a really nice song. It's so cheesy, it's so corny. I just think it's really fun, and it's it's also it's one that I've used as as an audition piece before as well. So I've kind of got a bit, a bit sort of connection to it in that way. But I, I just think it's really funny. It works quite well, especially because when I first started watching, I was like, oh, what level of like, you know, silliness are we going into now? Um, And especially because like the interactions he has with like the groom and bride at the beginning in which it's very, you know, cheesy. Um, And, you know, that song is there to kind of like hype up them being this kind of like lovey-dovey couple, etc. But have this weird musical arrangement. But yeah, it it works so well then when you watch the rest of it to contrast so much to the kind of like meatloaf type rock stuff that comes later on. So yeah, it, it is very fun, especially with the, I don't know, what do you want to call them? Like the paint, the couple from the painting with the, you know, the pitchfork and everything. American Gothic. Yes, that's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, yeah, that, that was a fun one. And even over at the Frankenstein place, I thought was quite a fun one after that. Just a kind of being cheesy, Craig. For me, I was surprised at how moved I was by um, "I'm going, uh, I'm going home." The the going home song that Tim Curry sings at the end, because I was like, "Wow, this for a musical which has gone like very, very full on. All of it's basically just sort of about trying to figure the right way of saying this, but just you know, the very loud, the very brash, the very active. To have something very, very introspective, uh, but it still feel in." still feel like on brand with everything else i thought was really impressive and i i did really enjoy it And it was also again if we're going to be looking at say tim curry's performance just just looking at like various shots where they just look like there are tears in the eyes i was just yeah yeah the song is a plea and he uh just he does it so well yeah it makes you laugh and like almost cry and that's a good performance <laughs> and the visuals of it as well is again that's what we were saying earlier is utilizing film to such a great degree of like the pool and like him in like the you know the ring and everything like that like all of that build up and stuff was was excellent in just terms of how cinematic it looked and seeing the audience and things like that with like them signing stuff it really gives you i think again even though this film has like such a frantic pace and kind of like characters coming in and out and like a, a strange story i think because he works as a character so much at the core and that kind of like signifies how he's gone too far as uh riffraff says you know I, I think that's what you know at his core makes this film work so well and even just like that's why i kind of enjoyed about the kind of like weird alien thing at the end is just the like you know your mission is a failure your life is too extreme you know like when he's like delivering that in like such a like high note um it kind of just adds to that kind of like epic campy schmaltzy kind of stuff 
Another one I really like though as well is just science fiction double feature. I was listening to that earlier and I was getting big sort of Pink Floyd vibes off it. Yeah, what a haunting intro. I know, like it's it's such a chill and it, it's very relaxing, very calming and like, yeah, it, it almost doesn't feel like it belongs, but it, again, it's, it's something to do. It just goes to show how well they wrote this musically as well. Like songs like um going home and sci-fi double feature they they're so unique but they they fit perfectly it's just really well done and yeah that's another one that i really enjoy in the um musical magenta sings sci-fi double feature as the first song um but for the film they decided so it's the voice of Richard O'Brien with Patricia Quinn's lips yeah. and again that um they said that that helped introduce right away like the androgynous aspect of it you know women's lips with the male voice yeah coming out so um and they they just termed themselves the lips so that's two of them together <laughs> um, nice yeah, because yeah, it's interesting how that's so iconic to the film that, like, you know, the cover and the poster is, like, Tim Curry, like, sat on the lips. But it's, you're like, oh, well, that's only, like, one, the opening to the film. It's not, like, a huge part of the story or anything like that. So, yeah, it's surprising how, like, iconic it's become. Um, but I guess it kind of, like, links into the, the rock elements with the, you know. Like the Rolling Stone kind of. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's why I feel that uh, over at the Frankenstein place kind of has that kind of eerie atmosphere as well. You know, it's maybe I vaguely heard it before, but I just find it kind of like very melancholy kind of sounding and just the idea of like constantly going there, but also adding the comedic tropes of they're just there constantly in the rain. <laughs> and like she's there with the paper, but they keep singing. Um, you know, I, I just, especially cause it's called Frankenstein place. I think that's why I enjoy the most about the music apart from like Tim Curry, what, what a fantastic performer he is. Um, I think is the sort of chorus dancers do such a good job. Like they have, they did yeah. a great job. I'm not sure how many of them are from the original production, but you know, sometimes you can just get like generic, oh, we just want like a mix of different people, but they just all understand, you know, what is expected of them. They have such a great energy. They all have such unique looks to them. I just love their styling. I love like the, you know, the different the weird quirky quality to the way they dance yeah. as well. Like everyone's kind of yeah. Because I didn't realize, I think until I was watching behind the scenes, is that they're also meant to be aliens as well. So I think that then, yeah, the fact that they look so different and so strange makes sense but yeah having those kind of like multicolored tuxedos and like little accessories and everyone has like a different kind of like head piece or something like that you know and some of them look like dignitaries from like around the world so when he's like going around them uh when he arrives like that works quite well um and then that's why i thought works when you do get a lot of the songs that bring them back in so even then when you get um you know meatloaf with the uh, hot patootie and bless my soul like them so they're singing and you know getting out of the way of the motorbike and stuff like that is is quite fun but but also then like the singing which happens with over at the frankenstein place like it just kind of elevates it to this kind of you know rock operas as you were saying earlier Shelley. i wrote down that i love that the castle is wheelchair accessible ah yes yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. zooms the doc dr scott up the stairs to him yeah that's true yeah. the levers. <laughs> 
it's very ahead of its time the film very ahead of its time that was quite an impressive sequence is just seeing him like whiz through there especially like going past the lift and everything at the same time as the other characters are in there oh it's when he's um chasing rocky in his heels and he's falling all over the place because i know how that feels (laughs) (laughs) um and how he didn't damage his ankles or knees doing that is amazing but i guess he did it every night on stage without yeah it's just the fact that like you know the way that they all appear at the end of the film like when they got like this weird makeup and they're all in the kind of like you know dr frankenfurt costumes um Mm. and then i can't remember if it's before or after that but you know the fact he's got this blanket over him and you're like okay i'm not sure how well this ages for kind of like you know representation these days but just the image of like that old man kind of blanket would then like tights and heel like come from underneath and him sort of doing the like high kicks underneath i'm like that's just that just visually just looks so funny and like you know great as just a character piece and just like add into frankenfurt's kind of like chaos i think okay take those cassettes rewind them and play them again because it's time for vhs corner so this time we have Shelley looking at uh, some of the behind the scenes and some little facts and tidbits. Uh, so Shelley, what do you have for us today? So as we know, Tim Curry does quite, uh, it's like a Queen's received pronunciation accent in the film. Um, that was also the one he did on stage, but for the film, they kind of went through the process of, of so he, he, tried out an American accent and then he tried out uh, German as well, Dr. Frankenfurter. And then they eventually settled on um, like this kind of English eccentric, very rich, um, exuberant accent. So that was kind of the evolution of uh, why he uses that accent. Um, Oh, another Tim Curry one is, you know, the surgical robe? that he wears the like gray one um it's got a red triangle on it um so in the war uh red triangle pointing uh the opposite way to what he wears i think it's pointing down was used by the nazi party to identify gay people um but he turned it upside down um to wear as frankenfurter as a symbol of pride so that's where that comes from i thought that one was really interesting um and i don't know whether that was something that tim curry suggested or he worked with the wardrobe department on that um but i thought that little detail was really interesting um and again it feeds into that kind of aspect of being yourself and and pride um oh this one was weird and i was kind of looking at it and it seems like sometimes he's wearing it, sometimes he's not. The um, what's his name? Peter, 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 who plays Rocky. Um, because he's meant to be this like alien creature that's been created in a lab. Um, I saw something that said they created a belly button plug for him to wear because he wouldn't have had an umbilical cord. Um, so in certain shots in the film, you can really see that actually. There's no belly button there. But then in other shots, I could see it. So I don't know whether that was just a failing in the prosthetic or because I was looking too closely. But you can definitely see the prosthetic there 
in some scenes. So yeah, no belly button because he's an alien. Um, the scene where uh, they're all having that really awkward dinner <laughs> and then they realise, oh God, we are eating Eddie. Um, and then he like slides back and pulls the tablecloth off. Um, Tim Curry was the only actor there who knew that Eddie was going to be under there. So those screams and reactions are real. <laughs> um, I don't know how real, you know, they are still actors at the end of the day. I think you'd fight to remain in character. But yeah, I like it when films do that, when they kind of don't let people in on apart from maybe when Stanley Kubrick does it he takes it a bit far but okay I've got I've got two more actually because I saw one that kind of plays in to um the fact that Jaws came out the same year they created a poster um of the lips with teeth like doing that um and the tagline was a different set of Jaws and they used that the same year and I think it was the lips of a Playboy model, Lorelei Sharp. Don't know her personally. Um, yeah, so I just discovered that one when I was reading Bits and Bobs just before. And then my final bit is um, the sort of soundstage, uh, the set that they filmed on in the UK had A, no toilets, and B, uh, no heating. Um, and so when they were filming the pool, the scenes in the pool, uh, Susan Sarandon caught pneumonia um, but she refused to stop filming so if you see her looking a bit under the weather in those in those scenes it's because she's got pneumonia and those are my facts amazing thank you very much I mean I think it definitely sells aspects of Susan Sarandon's appearance in this film especially towards the end if she is like you know lying on the floor exploded having pneumonia at the time is it's just also, just considering how few clothes she wears throughout the vast majority of this film, also... Not surprising, from... yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but also, that that is really cool about the uh, about the, the Nazi symbol being flipped uh, in Powerman. I think that's probably another reason why, uh, if people are really on it with this sort of uh, LGBT history, that's probably why they also gravitate towards this film as well. If they, if they It might have that. been like a little kind of like calling card Yeah, people watching who understood what that was yeah and for and and also uh, like bigots will miss it because they just don't know that sort of thing so it'll mean nothing to them uh cool uh any other any of those other facts that people thought were interested or wanted a bit of a follow-up discussion on well i think as well to add to the you know the details of like that symbol etc which plays into you know eddie and eddie's body etc as well is that when i was looking into um, some of the behind the scenes stuff as well is that the I think it was like the set decorator or prop person was talking about you know the choices they made throughout day and I think that makes sense to what they were doing is that he was saying that like you need to have fun on like you know some of these types of films and like to add those like little qualities and quirks is what like adds to the actor's experience and I think that that is kind of similar to what we were talking about earlier about like having something physical, you know, to work with things not being CG, et cetera. I think that there's an element of that as well is that, you know, yes, somebody might not notice that in the background it says something, something, something. But I think that, you know, as we've discussed in the past, like things like seven and stuff like that with the book, the book pages on the wall and everything like that. If you put in the work and you've put in the detail and it has that much 
like thought behind it it informs the actor's performance so i think you know what i heard him talking about was like when they were throwing like you know the fact they would have all different like cutlery sets on the table and stuff because the implicate you know what they're trying to imply is that uh riffraff doesn't understand how to actually host a dinner party and things like that and i think that he was talking about like the way that the house was decorated because you were saying about how there was no heating and stuff like that i think i saw that the fact that this was a horror a previous hammer horror location um apparently it was going to get like torn down but then like some uh, preservation sort of society saved it but at that point they had taken the felt off the roof or something like that but they said it created a really cool effect though for the film because everything inside there was kind of like stripped like weather stripped from like rain and stuff like that so it actually made the film look even cooler because all the stairs and everything was all kind of like weird and you know like weathered and gray etc so he was then talking about how he added like elements like you know like there's fact the you know there's like animals and stuff like that like is brad that says like oh it's like some crazy hunting club um for people and he said that you know he he really sort of clung to that as an idea that there would be lots of elements that dr frankenfurt would add which he thinks is like oh this is humanity this is what they have and it's like all pieces of art and like statues and animals and stuff but not quite understanding what their purpose or reasoning is to have them so they're just all kind of like randomly scattered around the place so i like think the, that the statue of david that's got like its nails painted yeah stuff. exactly so i think like... that the the symbol then for like um you know which was used like in the time of the nazis and you know revolving that i think is another one of those kind of like neat little like easter egg type things which i can imagine that that you know set set person was involved with i wonder whether it's also partially to negate the fact that he's a german doctor yeah and, mm, and yeah. to be like you know opposite of of that <laughs> so maybe... you think that the creation of rocky tall blonde Aryan. Oh, oh, God, yeah. oh no! I think there's this is definitely a lot more. Are we on to something here? Oh dear! <laughs> oh no! What are we saying that Nazis did experiments? Now, now, let's not make spurious accusations about a bunch of horrible people. Um, <laughs> but, no, um, I, I think the details that they went to for this it makes sense to add stuff like that because I think they also said like originally. And I think you could see a version of this as well is that there was like a black and white opening and then like the lips would be the only thing that was red. And then like seeing Tim Curry come into it, then that would be the explosion of color, which would bring color into the film like Wizard of Oz. But they just didn't have like the technical resources to pull it off effectively. Um, but also the original, the original plan for the opening of the film, because mm. um, obviously the lyrics in science fiction double feature mention a lot of previous films yeah i think it was to have um like clips of those uh sort of bleed into one another with the lips over the top but they uh. just didn't have the money so they did yeah. it on black screen with just red lips because i think because um, obviously you'd have to pay for the rights to every single clip <laughs> yeah because they altered the 20th century logo which i'm like is this like one of the first times that we've had like a playing with like a studio logo and you know at the end like in front behind the pool is the radio tower i think they also said that that was going to be the 20th century logo and instead of having like the spotlights go back and forth like like they do in the animation or whatever they would be like plinths which like the maids would be like pulling back and forth i was like oh that wouldn't look so cool <laughs> so um 
We've had our uh, trivia there, so thank you, Shelley. Uh, some fascinating uh, facts about the film, and uh, obviously proves again like why this is so famous and so many like famous little stories behind the scenes. Um, so now we just come up to our wrap up. Obviously, as I mentioned earlier, this was already in the movie vault, uh, but now is our chance to kind of like give good justification as to why it's here and uh, anything else we want to say about why you think uh, it's so memorable and, and deserves its place. So, Chris, anything else you want to add? Well, the first time I saw this film, like I said, was I was way too young to really understand or get any of it. But I would be lying if I didn't say that it didn't have an effect on me and was definitely sort of, again, that was my choice to watch it. I didn't ask my parents permission and I went on my way to watch a movie that I shouldn't have been watching. Aren't I a terrible person? Um, But it's no one else's fault but mine. But the fact is, is like I've, the thing of the Rocky Horror Picture Show is like it's one of those films that makes someone like myself, who is a you know uh, identifies heterosexual male, really comfortable with um, exploring exploring sexuality and exploring these sorts of things. I feel like as an actor, you know, you come across those sorts of things and those challenges. Rocky Horror is one of those things that I could turn to to make be like, no, you can be comfortable with this because it's it's fun. You can have fun with it. Um, just just from that alone, I think how much of a relevance it has for like for people to sort of become comfortable with their bodies and become comfortable with like the idea of, of like sexual contact. It, there is a lot of crazy weird stuff around the film too, but yeah, I think that's an amazing thing about it. Um, that relevance alone but then when we just look at it as a piece of film um absolutely it looks amazing it sounds amazing the music is incredible it's endlessly quotable it's endlessly singable and the the revelation i had earlier of like the idea that the film and the live shows feel like companion feel like musical companion pieces like the cd versus live it's such a rare thing and we talked about it again earlier. How do you market Rocky Horror? What do you tag it on with? What sort of film is a companion piece? What double piece? And you can't. And that's really special to make something that is so, so unique and so in of itself and so uh, just, yeah, just unique. It's incredible. And, and it, it's why it's lasted as long as it has and will probably last that's the test of time and i glanced at the uh box office recently and obviously i know it's adjusted for time but i was looking at it i was like damn that's incredible that's really impressive um as a piece of cinema 100 as a musical 100 and just as an overall experience yeah it 100 deserves place in the ball any final thoughts on yourself shelly yeah, I think going back to to what I was saying before about you know the the midnight movie aspect of it becoming almost like a, a safe space for LGBT communities, especially in like small town America in the seventies. Um, I think it's so culturally significant and aesthetically significant because I think if you saw someone dressed up like that, you'd know exactly who they were meant to be you know it's it's popular culture iconic stuff um yeah definitely needs to stay in the vault i think that's a stupid question that you've even asked (laughs) need to try and add some tension sometimes even if it's uh, fruitless (laughs) but 
yes. Craig. There are very few musicals like this. There are even fewer of them that have the same sort of audience participation value to them as Rocky Horror does. There are even fewer of those, again, that have been able to transition into the film world and have that still be as iconic. I think at that point, it is such a unique film that is unlikely ever going to be topped again. Therefore, it should just stay in the vault. Indeed. So, yeah, I think this conversation has definitely solidified why it's so famous, why it is uh, followed in the way it has, why it's got such a, you know, cult legacy behind it and uh yeah why it reflects and is so much fun um obviously as uh, shelly said it was a silly question to ask but i had it had to add <laughs> some anticipation <laughs> uh, to... the delivery wasn't quite as good no <laughs> i was Thank like you. it might be a bit much to uh like say you guys were shivering with anticipation so i was like i'll just add the Got word me. No, so I'm good. Yeah, I was just like, get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> Again, somebody saying what I've been thinking for a while. Come on. Get on with it. Yes, get on with it. So, yeah. Get on with it. Keeping in the movie vault is Rocky Horror Picture Show from 1975. We're in the end game now. Oh. It's so Okay, endgame time. Uh, time to move on to a game that I like to call, in brackets, I'm not having any trouble with the copyright for this, so don't worry. End brackets. Dance Dance Revolution! <laughs> That's enough of that for copyright reasons. So, Dance Dance Revolution. We obviously have to talk about the fact that the time warp is such a cultural phenomenon, not only because of the uh the energy of it but because it's one of those songs that actually teaches you to dance and that's what today's game is all about you are going to be dancing for us guys <laughs> I- i'm joking that's we're not going to have you dancing i am blurred my background <laughs> dancing is dancing is very much optional for this game so we obviously have to talk about the dance uh dance sequences in films and also the songs that often accompany those dance sequences. Um they are the ones that have the significant impact on us on as an audience, especially those that have some form of dance instruction to them. So what I've done is I've tried my best to find as many songs related to films uh as well as like uh French uh franchises, they could be TV franchises, etc. Uh some of them uh, I would say a lot of them have some form of dance instruction to them, even if it's not like the full, uh, like breakdown, like you know, like Time Walk does, you know, a jump to the left and a step to the right, that kind of thing. So they do have some form of call to action insofar as what you should be looking to do. What I'm going to do is sim- is very simple. I am going to read out the lyrics of the song, and I want you to tell me what film that song that song is related to. Uh. It's very simple. You'll answer in a fastest first. So for this, I'll need to know what your buzzes are going to be. So, uh, Chris, how would you like to buzz in? Rocket. Excellent. And Shelley, how would you like to buzz in? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we have the buzzes set. Uh, There are nine questions in this game. But before it is, before we play the game, we need to know what it is that we'll be playing for. 
as usual, there will be a several film choices in front of us for next episode. And we're just going to have them teased now. So, Chris, tell us a little bit about your film. Uh, my film comes straight out of the science fiction double feature era of wild uh, space adventures and aliens and heroes. And also happens to feature someone that is related to this movie. Excellent. And what year does your film come out in? 1980. Excellent. So we have the sci-fi 1980 film. Shelley, tell us a little bit about your film. Mine is a more tenuous link. It's just an actor in common. Um, But this is a comedy drama. Uh, It's... It's a Chris Columbus film, so I guess you could say sort of blockbustery status. Um, and it came out in nineteen ninety-eight. Excellent. So we have the Chris Columbus blockbuster from nineteen ninety-eight. And finally, David. Uh so I've also gone for uh the double feature aspect that Chris mentioned there, um, but going away from science fiction uh, to a very different genre. Um, But when I thought of double feature, I thought of one of the most ludicrous and crazy double features in all of cinematic history in which two films played next to each other and were very different in their tone and story. Um, But comes from a very famous studio which has been uh, brought back into the conversation recently uh, because of the retirement of a certain writer-director. And this film is from 1988. Excellent. So we have the double feature film from 1988 from David. Which of those will be chosen for next episode? I don't know. Only the winner of our game, once they've decide, once it's been decided, will be able to tell us that. So, are we ready to play? Brad? Okay. So like I said, some some of them will be some form of dance instruction. So if you think that dancing along to the instructions will help you, We do encourage you. But some of them may also just be mainstream songs that have like a very famous dance sequence related to them. So keep that in mind. Okay. It's a dark, dizzy merry-go-round. As she keeps you dangling, your heart she is mangling. And you toss and you turn, cause her cold eyes can burn. Yet you yearn and you churn and rebound. I think I know what you mean. The tango. Maureen. <laughs> okay, so am I right in guessing that both of you are going to pass on this? Yeah, I don't know what that is. Sorry. I, I can't pick, pin it. I don't, I don't think my brain works this way. Like, I need it sung. And Craig, I know you're gonna do them all in just a monotone. <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna. Well, get I mean, it, it, I mean, it's it's ten it's ten o'clock at night, and my mother's in the room next next to mine. So yeah, I'm not gonna be singing them, unfortunately. <laughs> Craig, like, one, it's sad two, because three. literally, I've given you the name of the song right at the end. I can't remember what you said, Brad. Tangerine de Maureen. Is is that your guess for the film? No. Okay, right. <laughs> I forgot. Okay, I'm going to have to call this one a loss for both of you. 
So, so David, we briefly discussed this one earlier. So it's the Tango Maureen, which is fe- featured in which musical? Rent. Yeah, it's Rent. Uh, Craig's getting more disrespect for Rent on this podcast. Sorry. No, I, I'm just surprised. I, mm. I, I thought you, one of you would have seen Rent, that's all. I'm not saying which one, but... Okay, are we ready for number two? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, this one I think will be a bit easier, so get ready. Kick your knees up. Kick your knees up, step in time. Kick your knees up, step in Brad? time. Shelly? Mary Poppins. That is the correct answer. Mary Poppins. <laughs> it just sounds oh like God. you're like calling your husband. Like, Brad, can, Brad? Can, can you answer this <laughs> question for me, please? <laughs> that is... man's at the door again. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how Craig, like you said, is more step in time. <laughs> step in time. Yeah. <laughs> Are we ready for number three? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How low can you go? How low can you go? How Brad? Lo- Shelley? Madagascar? Two? It is not Madagascar or Madagascar 2. <laughs> uh, Chris, uh, do you have any... Get- I mean, you can hear the rest of the lyric that I have. <laughs> okay. So how many times did I say how low could you go? Twice. Okay, so... There's another two of those. Um, then it's higher, 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 higher. I think Shelly has just realized it. Born to hand jive baby. No, I don't actually know that one. Oh. <laughs> Shelly, so what is actually the answer? Oh, Greece. It, it is Greece. Oh, it's it's born to hand jive from Greece. Okay. Number four. I, I assume I don't get a point for that. No, because you already had your guess. Well, technically, we gave you two guesses because you guessed a film and its sequel. All right, next question. So move your body if you've got the mo- the notion. Front to back in a rock-like motion. Now that now that you've got it, if you think you can, do it to the music. That's the... Bartman. <laughs> Brad? Shelley? Simpsons movie. I'll give you the Simpsons. It's not actually in the movie, but it's oh. it's it is it's uh do the Bartman, but that Simpsons is fine, so that gets you the point. Yep. So that is the uh weird cultural phenomenon, which is uh uh do the Bartman, written do, do, and do, do, sung do, 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 partly. No, that's the hustle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always get those two mixed up. All right. We now come to probably my favorite one of the set. Are we ready? Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this one slightly faster so hopefully Shelly feels like I'm singing it somewhat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pop it, lock it, polka dot it, country five in hip, hip hop hip. Put your hawk in the sky, move side to side, jump to the left, stick it, glide, zigzag, cross the floor, shuffle in diagonal. When the drum hits, hand on your hips, one footed, 180 twist, and then a zigzag, step and slide. Lean in left and clap three times. Shake it out head to toe. Throw it all together and that's how we roll. Do the hoe down, throw down. Brad? Shelly? Hannah Montana? It is Hannah Montana. Oh, yeah. no! <laughs> Chris's eyes. I hate... Yeah, I do you know what? It was in the back of my brain somewhere and I just had to I thought out. you immediately had it. You were so like singing <laughs> So I've never seen the then. film, but I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of that song. Okay, are we ready for the next one? Probably not, but never mind. <laughs> okay. I'm going to apologize already because this is not in English. 
so I don't know how well I'm going to be able to say this. Come te po capici te tevo bene. Rocky. Yep. Um, that is Book of Mormon. It is not. It is not the Book of Mormon. Book of Mormon famously doesn't have a movie adaptation. Oh, these are all movie adaptations. Ah, oh, excuse me. To an extent, yeah, but it is. It is not. Um, Shelley, do you want me to keep going? Yes, please. Okay. See to start again, please. Oh God. Okay. Komotiko capici tevo bene. Si tu le parli miezo americano, quando se fa l'amor sotto la luna, come ti viene in capa e di I love you, pa parla americano. Is it... Uh-oh. I think Chris knows it now. <laughs> Repeat. <laughs> yeah, it's the only lyric you really need. Yeah. But it's whether you know the film. Is it La La Land? It is not La La Land. <laughs> I would love it so, if that was so Chris, uh, Shelley thinks that you've identified what the film might now be because of no, the song. I think I identified the language. All right, what's the language? Is it French? Spanish, surely. It's it's me no speak Americano. The famous dance scene is associated with. David, do you know this? The Inbetweeners movie. It's the Inbetweeners movie. It's, uh, it's uh, Neil's incredible dancing at the bar. Oh, oh, so that's the film. I thought it was all musical. <laughs> no, 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 no. They're not all musicals. I just said that. I just said the dance sequences. Yeah, I didn't say you they're did. musical. Yeah. That makes it even harder for your minds to be like, oh my God, it could be every film in existence. <laughs> all right. So we've got three questions to go. Are we ready for the next one? No. <laughs> <laughs> just how little I actually listen to songs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Everybody, rock your body. Everybody, rock your body right. Backstreet's back all right. Rocky. Chris. I mean, this is, any, this is any number of films. Um, but specifically with a famous, uh, with a, a a large dance sequence. Well, the one that comes to mind is, um, oh, what's it called? Is it, this is the end. You are correct. <laughs> you are correct. It is indeed the dance sequence. So that is. Can you would say it? <laughs> yeah, that is a uh, that is a uh, this is the end with the dance sequence by Backstreet Boys, or as da- or as David thought they were, NSYNC. Um, <laughs> column A, column N. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a nineties baby? Backstreet bo- Backstreet's back. You know, it's just what first comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, famous Justin Timberlake words right there. Backstreet's back, NSYNC. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. There's still everything to play for. And by that, I mean the best we can get is a tie. So let's see if that happens. Yeah. All right. You might want to be quick on this one. So now I got to cut loose. Rocky. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was Chris. I forgot my buzzer. <laughs> it is indeed your husband's name. said the answer is my buzzer. <laughs> that would that would be interesting to know whether I allow that because I would just see oh you like the song you're just actually going to sing along to it <laughs> but yeah so that was indeed so I got to cut loose foot loose kick off the Sunday shoes please Louise pull me off off of my knees Jack get back come on before we crack lose your blues everybody cut foot loose all right so it is everything to play for in this last answer okay I've been waiting for so long no, I finally found someone to stand by me. Oh, uh, uh, Brad! 
That is that is Shelley. Dirty dancing. And with that, we have our oh. winner. Um, <laughs> so in the end, Chris, you did score an admirable two, but in the end, Shelley is the winner with four points. So congratulations to Shelley. I like that we just did. Our scores do not add up to the amount of questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there are six. There were nine questions. There are six points on the board. That's respectable. I mean, I've done quizzes before with literally, I think, of like fifteen. Only three of them were answered. There's always there's always some unanswered questions. Yeah, like it's fine. Don't worry about it. In my case, <laughs> most of them. Yeah. <laughs> so with that victory, Shelley, you get to choose which of the three film options we'll be discussing for next episode. So, do you want to go with the hosts, which is David's film? Do you want to go with your opponent's, Chris's film, or do you want to choose your film? This is difficult because I can I can keep the podcast going in like a, a sci-fi version or a silly version, or I can just complete 180 and choose my film, which is what I'm going to do. <laughs> okay, so you're going with your film option. Okay, so this is where you can be a little bit uh, more descriptive about the film before you eventually tell us what the film is that we'll be looking at. Okay, um, so the link is one of the lead actors. Mm-hmm. Um, is one of the lead actors in this film. It also stars. I would say there's three main actors: two women, one man. Oh, I yep. think I know what this is now. I also think I have an idea. It was a box office smash. I watched it maybe in my early teens for the first time. Cried my eyes out, and the film is stepmom okay i had absolutely no idea no yeah all right interesting the it's a comedy drama but you know the uh, the essence of the film is a mother is preparing uh for the terminal illness that will end her life but she's preparing her children for their new stepmom played by julia roberts so it's kind of the dynamic between those two. I really enjoy it as a film. So um, I'm assuming that the lead, I'm assuming that the lead actress is uh, that you're talking about was Susan Sarandon. Yeah, Susan Sarandon was the link. That's that, that's good because I I've I did think to myself I wanted to look at more of her work, especially to just see how she contrasted herself against like this role in Rocky Horror. So I'm I'm happy for that film. So David, uh, tell us where we can watch it. Um, so at the moment, you can rent it on uh, most online rental services, Apple, Amazon, Chile, YouTube, those kind of places, uh, or I'm sure it's a Chris Columbus film uh, with soundtrack by John Williams that is likely available on physical media, DVD, Blu-ray, etc. Uh, so yeah, go find it and watch along with us. Quite a change from what we've been discussing uh, today. And I think, yeah, it's a good change of pace. Uh, that was the one thing I was worried about is we would stick in this kind of musical fun times kind of like area. So yeah. No more fun times. <laughs> no, no. no. Shelly's here now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. So thank yeah, you. It's an Adam Sandler. That's it. That's all I do. Thank you for joining us both. It's been uh, wonderful talking about Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, which has obviously remained in the movie vault. Uh, so anything you guys want to shout out, uh, Chris, anything you got going on uh, with Dramatic Moose or anything online you want to sort of direct people to? Uh, yes, uh, I recently directed my first ever short film, oh, which fantastic. is due to come out in February. We're aiming for a Valentine's Day drop. Um, it's sort of part of the theme, but um, 
well, you'll 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 like it when you see it. I hope. Uh, I'm also currently working on a play at the moment as part of um, Reese Dean's productions. It's a play called Talk, which is dealing with uh, discussions of mental health. It's about three friends who are spending the night inside a pub, uh, talking to each other, trying to help specifically one of their friends out of a very bad uh, rut that he's in. Um, lots of very important discussions on mental health issues. So I'm working on that as an understudy, but also as uh, assistant to a director. So it'd be technically my second attempt at directing a play, which is pretty cool. Um, but if you want to find out any more information about this, um, you can find out information about Dramatic News Productions. Uh, Typing Dramatic News Productions into uh, Google, you'll find our website. Uh, you could also find us on Instagram, uh, Dramatic underscore Moose, Facebook, Dramatic News Productions, uh, X, uh, formerly Twitter, at Dramatic underscore Moose. And for the film that's going to be coming out soon, part of Strange Tales, uh, which is a YouTube channel uh, from the group The Watchers Productions, you can find them Watchers uh, Productions on Facebook and Watchers underscore Productions on Instagram. And you can find all of our stuff on YouTube at Watchers Productions, uh, at Strange Tales, and at Dramatic Moose, all on YouTube to find some of our content that we've done. Uh, but that's uh, all from me. Thank you. Awesome. And we'll eagerly await the day that uh, Chris's audition endeavors for Rocky Horror come true <laughs> and uh, he makes it oh, to no, the stage. Right, <laughs> yeah. One. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shelley, anything you want to shout out? Um, yes, we've got a board game marathon for charity coming up uh, at the end of this month. It's Tickets are all sold out. It's just a mini 12-hour marathon, but it's still going to be live-streamed, I believe. Um, and you can still donate if you go to uh, the 24hourboardgamemarathon.co.uk. All the info's on there about the mini event and the main one, which will be in August this year. 24 hours, all for charity. Amazing. And is that from, like, a specific board game group or is it like something um, that is a collaboration Dan who uh he's just a really avid board gamer um the charity that it supports helped him uh when he had a difficult birth of his son it's uh cots for tots which is part of like the grand appeal wallace and gromit charity uh st michael's hospital in bristol so it helps neonatal babies um and their families who need to stay like nearby so not having to like commute to Bristol from anywhere in the southwest or south Wales you know to to get that specialist help so yeah get involved it's really fun sounds good yeah please do uh, donate and uh, help out and uh, check it out so uh yeah thank you both for joining us uh, we hope to have you back on again soon uh shout out once again we've got our 100th episode coming up uh hopefully uh, by this time there should be links um, which i'm still trying to find like a good suggestion kind of portal maybe shelly might know one with board game world uh to put suggestions for what our film should be for the 100th episode <laughs> um because we want like suggestions from everyone uh, so basically at the moment uh you can message us on social media comment uh, but i'm hoping to find like some sort of portal in which i can gather lots of suggestions in a box and then we'll put it to a poll uh, so keep an eye out on instagram twitter that kind of thing uh, for that uh craig anything lastly from yourself 
Nope, just uh, I'm just going to leave uh, this with probably the only plea that I can give people after uh, watching the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is touch me. Why? I'm very lonely. I'm very Oh. <laughs> oh, Craig of the night. Shelley and Craig have already teed it up. There's already the the <laughs> curies, but I think Shelley and Craig just the need curies. to organise a well good movies production oh of something. Oh my god, karaoke night! Yeah, yes. just oh yeah, 100%. Craig sings that. You know, <laughs> I think we've already got some people who will be doing uh, High School Musical numbers. So <laughs> they gotta yeah. be they gotta be songs from films. That's that's the rule. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sad. Baxi, I don't want to miss a thing. <laughs> okay. I don't want to miss a thing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you once again, guys. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. To keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at WellGoodMovies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode. This this indicates Craig's opinions about the IRA. He didn't know where I landed. <laughs> Craig doesn't want to cut out the IRA. What does that say? <laughs> I, I never said there was an issue with my allegiance. It's to the Republic. <laughs> How well does that work? <laughs>